not pay the $50 any time, and that problem has grown so rampantly that it cost the city $100 million last year. Paul Drienzo, New York. The previous program was Economic Update with Richard Wolf, heard Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. Stay tuned for Off the Hook. It is now one minute past 7 p.m. Telecom in New Zealand advises that the number you have called has either changed or is no longer obtainable. Please call your international directory service. Telecom in New Zealand advises that the number you have called has either changed or is no longer obtainable. Please call your international directory service. Good evening to everybody. The program is Off the Hook. Emmanuel Goldstein here with you. Joined tonight by Kyle. Yes, over here. How are you doing? Um, over Hi. in uh, Skype land, we have Alex. We do. Good evening. Uh, we have Gila. Good evening. And we have Rob. Good evening. I, I went backwards this time. So. <laughs> You're all there, though. That's the important thing. And uh, we're here again for another action-packed edition of Off the Hook, followed at 8 o'clock on YouTube by Overtime where you have the opportunity to call us and berate us for all the things that we get wrong, um, which um, inevitably we will get something wrong, but uh, we try to get most things right. Um, anything uh, new in the world of uh, high-tech or, uh, or just adventures in, in our lives, folks? No? <laughs> um, just uh, just your normal sort of uh, roller coaster ride through this, media environment in which we live. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Well, we're all just trying the best we can to muddle through it all. Uh, we uh, continue to prepare for um, uh, the Hope Conference coming up in July, uh, 12th through 14th. Uh, we're getting a, a bunch of submissions. We're getting a bunch of uh, workshops and speaker submissions. Uh, you can go to the webpage, hope.net, to get all the information 
as to um, uh, uh, what how you can participate, uh, facts about the location, uh, activities, things like that. And there's going to be more and more information um, added as, um, as as the date approaches. It's only January, I know, but uh, events like this take a long time to prepare and, and, and so much coordination. So it's, um, uh, it's something that we're quite excited about, and we hope to see you there as well. Go ahead, Alex. You got, you I, got to speak, Alex. I wanted to share with you guys that, um, you know, I, I was speaking with uh, Virgil today, our friend Virgil, who is unfortunately uh, in federal prison uh, for attending a blockchain conference and presenting at it at, uh, in the blockchain conferences in North Korea. I'm sure many of our listeners, longtime listeners, know all about the saga. Um, and I don't think we need to go into all the details now. But I do want to share with you that, look, he, he's doing well. Um, he's been transferred over to a facility in, in Michigan as opposed to Pennsylvania. So it's a bit more difficult for me to see him, especially with the broken leg. I hope to see him soon, though. He sends his regards. Um, and he also sent to me a poem that is written by Richard Brodigan in 1967. And uh, I, I think we it's a short poem. I think we should read it with the listener, read it to the listeners, because it, it's very interesting. And I think even though it, it's by this hate ash by a poet and written in 1967, it really captures the zeitgeist of what we are going through in society right now. Are we clear for poetry on this show? Hang on one second. I just got to check to make I sure. Know. I don't want to violate yeah, any rules. Let's check. We can? Okay. So if it's, I'm told if it's short and pertinent, it's, we can do poetry. It's short But we should not. we should not make a habit of it, is what I'm told. <laughs> That's right. true. Yeah. Okay. So the title of this poem, written in 1967 by Richard Brodigan, is All Watched Over by Machines of Loving Grace. <clears throat> and here it goes. I like to think in the sooner the better of a cybernetic meadow where mammals and computers live together in mutually programming harmony like pure water touching clear sky. I like to think right now, please, of a cybernetic forest filled with pines and electronics where deer stroll peacefully past computers as if they were flowers with spinning blossoms. I like to think it has to be of a cybernetic ecology where we are free of our labors and joined back to nature, return to our mammal brothers and sisters, all watched over by machines of loving grace. That's it. I like the concept of deer strolling peacefully by computers. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm picturing that in my mind right now. It's, it's, it's remarkably uh, um, natural, and I, I could definitely see that. But doesn't it also sound like it might have been generated by a large language model in some respect? Oh, like if you ask an AI I, to write a poem. I about hope, I hope, Alex, I hope you didn't just read us an AI-generated poem. I did not. This was written literally in 1967. So yeah, but I, if, I if AI told you that, you know, uh, it, it makes things up. So, uh, I, you know, I'm going to look this up later. In fact, our listeners are already looking this up. So I'm sure they are. All I right. hope they are. God help you if, you're, uh, if you've deceived us here. Yes, go ahead, Rob. I, I do like that uh, this this kind of uh, this is a nice little lesson that the word cybernetic is a lot older than a lot of people would assume it is, and uh, that people were already thinking about this stuff uh, sixty years ago now. A hundred yeah, years ago, people were thinking about things like this. Um, there, there, definitely, a lot of uh, the mistakes that we have already made have been predicted in the past. Where you know we let computers make decisions for us, and um, humans are kind of put in the back seat. Uh, knowing all too well that uh, we're going down a bad road, and um, um, you know, in, in the end, we'll be listened to. 
I, I like it. It's a very um, optimistic or sort of utopian um, lens, but I think it it might um, it might need a, a dose of uh, realism as far as how far down the road or wrong road we might have gone. It takes quite a bit uh, to reach even close to that ideal um, in many respects. But I, I like the idea of. Um, the empowerment or the freeing nature of these machines watching over in a loving way. Um, wow, it all it elevates the technology almost to like a deity or something or caretaker of sorts. Mm-hmm. But, um, but in other words, uh, enabling people to have a deeper connection with their natural environment or uh, state of being um, enhanced by all of this technological good but i don't know it might be it might be a rocky road to to uh turn turn your course and change directions yeah yeah and uh, no doubt we uh we will make some some mistakes before we we uh we go in the right direction go ahead gila i i loved it um i looked it up and i found it so i could read it also because you know i work better when i see stuff and i loved the progression of it to you know, from the sooner the better to right now, please, to it has to be of a cybernetic ecology. We're free of our labors and joined back to nature. I loved it. I, I love the image of this place where we're all working in it together and the computer, you know, is there but is not the only thing. I, oh, my God, Alex, thank you for this. This is some beauty I needed today. Well, you know, this isn't what we expected to be discussing here tonight, probably, you know, poetry sent over from Virgil. But, you know, don't thank me, thank Virgil. This was something that he found in a book that he was reading, and he shared it with me because he thought we would find this all interesting. And and to add to that, Kyle, your point about the last lines here, all watched over by the machines of loving grace, that's exactly what Virgil and I were discussing earlier today. And that was his favorite line as well. And there is this this notion of harmony and peace, and it, it's so it's it's a great poem. It's so fascinating, so prescient, so on point. Uh, you know, um, I, I just I, I hate to uh, you know um, uh, <laughs> cast aspersions here, but there's something kind of chilling about being watched over by machines. I, I just yeah. you know I'm a little uneasy about that. But I, loving, I'd like to be watching them, making sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, rather than having them watching me. You know what I mean? Good luck with that. Go ahead, Sorry, side note, because, you know, I started at the off-the-hook research department and it never really went away. Um, So Richard Brodigan, his fifth book of poetry was called All Watched Over by Machines of Love and Grace. He distributed it under copyleft. In 1967, he distributed it under copyleft. Was there a copyleft in 1967? Uh, Apparently so. Retains copyright, but grants permission to reprint any poem in this book on the condition that magazines, books, and newspapers must be given away free if they reprint this poem. Well, he certainly got the uh, the gist of it, but I didn't know that didn't know it went back that far. That's amazing. Learning a lot tonight already. That's uh, that's pretty incredible. Um, okay, moving on to, um, uh, to various things that are um, going on in our world. Um, the MTA, we're all familiar with the MTA, right? Metropolitan Transportation Authority. I am. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Become familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I like about the MTA? I like that um, they can tackle um, a problem, right? And by the time they're finished tackling the problem, they've created a whole new problem that made us forget about the first problem. 
You know, it's a special skill when they're able to do that. They um, recently spent $700,000 um, installing these um, these subway gates that are supposed to keep out fare beaters because apparently that's the biggest problem that we have right now are people jumping over the turnstiles. So they made these um, these, these big Parisian-looking um, um, guards uh, that you know enter the subway system. If you've ever been to Paris, they, they have a similar look, um, except these ones have a different feature where apparently, and if you go to the Sutphin Boulevard and Archer Avenue Station in Queens, maybe uh, Gila and Rob, you can hop out there during the show. Uh, it's pretty close by, I think. Uh, and uh, check this out. Um, all you have to do is, is walk up to the gate and then lean over and wave your hand on the other side as if, as if you were on the other side exiting. And guess what? The gate's open. <laughs> they just open because they assume that you're a person on the other side who wants to leave. So uh, apparently nobody realized that when the gates open, people can go the other way as well as the way you intend for them to go. And so the gate opens for about five seconds, and it, it doesn't even look suspicious. You know, it looks like you just placed your hand next to the thing, and there you go, walking through the gate. Um, they're red-faced with shame uh, and embarrassment. Uh, apparently it costs $700,000 just for this test subway station to install subway gates. That's That's incredible. It costs more than... You know, most people's houses just to install one subway station, subway gates. Okay, um, they have to redesign this. But, you know, any hacker in 20 seconds would have figured this out. Why don't they run these things by before they install them, you know, and, and, and have people like us show them all the uh, the potential problems? Any, any, any thoughts? Go ahead. Well, okay, so I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but we saw these gates. Um, we walked into the subway station and it was 11 o'clock at night. We were tired and we didn't notice that this was a possibility. So we're just like, hey, this is spiffy and tapped the Omni cards and went in. Um, had it not been 11 o'clock at night, actually, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like this is a train station that will help you get to St. John's. So if people are on the fence about going to Hope in person, you could go see these subway gates. Well, I have a feeling they're going to be in a dump pretty soon. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to last that long. Uh, because, One never knows. Well, I mean, it's just it's it's international embarrassment right now, uh, basically showing that the MTA um, uh, installed these things. It's actually it's worse if you consider this a problem. It's worse than what we have right now, where people hop over gates. Look, at least when people hop over gates, they're pretty much broadcasting the fact that they're they're stealing the subway fare. They're they're hopping over the gate. Uh, this it doesn't look like you're doing anything wrong. It looks like you're just simply going through an open gate. So they've they've made it. They've made fair beating a lot more respectable and easy as well. Rob, this also seems. And we we are, we're watching a video of this uh, of this demonstration, which was put on TikTok by uh, an account called King Spider TV. It's and there are two eyes in each eye. Yeah, that's the only person that seems to have done it so far. Because every <laughs> every news story I've read about this leads back to him, as if he's the only one. <laughs> and um, this really seems like something that should have been picked up in the most uh, cursory of product testing. Um, this seems like such an obvious uh, way to get past this. And how did they not, uh, I don't know, set one of these up and try it before spending $700,000 on outfitting this? this it, it's, it, it's really it's simple and it's brainless and it's <laughs> hilarious to watch. 
Wow. Uh, yeah, you know, okay, so let's help them out. Uh, uh, let's think of solutions here. What, what, how, how would you do this differently? Kyle, do you have an idea? Relocate the motion sensor, like put it on the front somehow. Okay. Like much further away. Maybe Make it so it's hard to reach. Maybe um, on the surface, furthest away from from the corner of the entrance to the turn gate. Uh-huh. And uh, low somehow. So you'd have to reach... All the way over and down, like further than you could. You basically have to roll over it to actually get any kind of hand or object in front of it. What if we had facial recognition for people leaving, and their face has to be registered as somebody who had entered before? And if it doesn't register, the gate will not open. Why is everybody frowning? Why was everybody frowning at me? Can we make it smell based? Well, we could. We could. We could add to it. What, is this a bad idea? We don't like that. You can't limit people who exit just to people who have been registered as entering because that, that traps any, anybody who happens to be born in the subway system. And then you have great songs written about it. You know, Charlie and MTA. Yeah, yeah look it up. <laughs> Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I, I was thinking of more along the lines of uh, what, what you were thinking, Emmanuel. Perhaps some kind of uh, guillotine type of situation that, you know, if you try a reach around here to, to trigger the sensor... Uh, you receive some kind of you, you, uh, amputation. I shouldn't have mentioned Paris. I shouldn't have mentioned <laughs> anything that would get you thinking about guillotines. Um, yeah. Okay. Look, there's there's something else. You could you could maybe group all the exits on one side and all the entrances on another side that way. But then again, the gate's going to open, and um, uh, you can still go through the. But then it's obvious you're going through an exit because. But then someone has to be watching. You know what the problem is. The problem is there's nobody watching because they laid off all the employees and replaced them with machines. So, you know, in the old days, if somebody uh, jumped a turnstile, someone at least could shout at them and say, hey, don't do that. And if there was a cop nearby, they might do something about it. Now it's, it's you know, you're supposed to save all this money. Uh, well, okay, people are taking advantage of that, and uh, they're, they're, they're hopping gates, and there's nobody there to chastise them. Go ahead, Gila. Oh, all I was going to say is, um, you know, I'm in my 40s, so if we could not say guillotine, I would really appreciate oh, that. Oh, wow. Thing. You know, I'm sorry. I didn't even realize that. I was going to say it's guillotine. 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 Gila okay. is older than that. All right. Well, so, thank you. All right. We, 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 I, that word is I, more, most likely to be used more in the future. I just want to emphasize what you're saying, because that is exactly the, in, the like, kind of cross uh, uh, intersection of returns for, like, Having employees there and then sort of automating this, but factoring in fare evasion, and now they have to factor in failures and the costs to, like, redesign them. So that's, like, an additional full design life cycle or something, redesign life cycle. And I don't know. It, it's problem solving that is about replacing supervision mm -hmm. because they want – supervision to be basically remote and automated and only on cameras or something. That's how this is observed. And then they're blame they just, they just blame the, um, the people that are trying to get places <laughs> instead of maybe, maybe the cumbersome nature of the whole system or the expense or other, other factors that are driving this kind of activity See, this is the thing I have I have trouble with, and I'm, I'm reading from the New York Post, so you know, take that for what it's worth. But they say the Eighth uh, Avenue, Penn Station, AC, and E train uh, is is going to be the second station to get the new setup. 
uh, and this is a quote, which cost about $700,000 to install. Now, that tells me that every time they install this, that's another seven hundred grand thrown down, you know, in, in, into the sewer. Uh, and um, is, is fair beating that much of a problem that you have to invest $700,000 per station to tackle the problem? And, you know... The answer to my question is is a couple of paragraphs up because they they claim that there is six hundred and ninety million dollars were lost from fair beaters in twenty twenty two six hundred and you know I would think that was that was the revenue <laughs> how much was lost six hundred and ninety million does somebody want to divide that by two dollars and ninety cents and see how many people that is that's that's a lot of fair beaters. That's, that's more than I Well, there's, there's probably repeat. Those, that's probably incidents. There's probably repeat offenders. Well, why shouldn't they count twice? If they, if they, if they you know, uh, jump a turnstile ten times, it's still ten fares, right? Sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. We are agreeing then. I, these, these numbers are staggering. There's I, still a ton of people. Yeah. I obviously have, have no clue as to uh, what's involved in running a subway system. But, but there's uh, other design elements. There's other things that can be done, uh, I think. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not it, a civil really, engineer. Is it really that much of a crisis? I mean, you know, if it is a crisis where, uh, you know, more people are evading fares than ever before, you have to ask yourself, why are more people evading fares than ever before? Do people hate the subway? Do people feel it's, it's too expensive? These are the issues to focus on rather than pouring money into something that is eventually going to fail at some point. I mean, even without the ridiculous wave your hand bug, uh, you still have the gate is open for five seconds bug, which, you know, you need the gate to be open to allow slow-moving people to get through or people with luggage or children. Uh, but if if uh, that's not the case, then the gate's open for five seconds and people easily can, uh, uh, you know, can, can piggyback onto your fare. Um, you know, in the, in the past or in the present, actually, all you have to do is jump over a turnstile. It seems simple, but it's pretty obvious what you're doing. And, um, you know, I, I don't really see that as as something that needs to be phased out if you're looking to identify who is doing this or catch them in the process. Rob? The, the other thing about trying to throw numbers on how much the MTA is supposedly, you know, quote-unquote losing to fair beaters is the number is half uh, imaginary because how many of those fair beaters would have ridden the system if they had to pay? We don't know. We can only theorize. We can only guess. Um, and uh, anybody trying to claim that uh, people who haven't paid for a service like this are actual financial losses to the agency, I don't think that I don't think that uh, calculates. I don't think that works. Um, and in the meantime, there there are so many reasons that really in a perfect uh, in a perfect world, which this is not, we would have public infrastructure that has things like public transportation available without cost to the user because it would be you know supported enough by local government and things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, the $2.90 or whatever that they're not getting from somebody fair beating, I, I don't know if that calculates to um, some kind of profit when you spend $700,000 on something like this. Well, I will say, though, it's good for accessibility. Um, people with uh, special mobility needs and things like that will find something like this a lot easier to use um, legitimately. But um, apart from that, I, I, I don't see that uh, this is solving a $600,000, whatever, thousand dollar problem. No, million, six hundred million, rather. Yeah, it's, it's an insane number. I, I, I just, I, I couldn't believe that when I when, when I read it. But you know, it, it, it makes me think of um, of cities like Berlin, uh, which, by the way, their 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 uh, train drivers went on strike today, so <laughs> there were no trains. But when you get on the uh, U-Bahn or the S-Bahn, um, 
there is no turnstile. Uh, you 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 uh, buy a ticket, you have a ticket. Um, nobody checks it, but if they do check to see if you have a ticket and you don't have one, the fine is pretty pretty stiff. Uh, and um, uh, people generally pay the pay the fare, and that's true of many European cities. I don't know why that kind of system can't work here. You, you see some of it on the select buses, uh, you know, where you're supposed to um, uh, either get your uh, your ticket from the machine at the bus stop, or you um, uh, use your your OmniCard, uh, and you don't actually go through a um, a system where somebody is checking to make sure you paid. But if you're challenged, you better have proof that you have a ticket. Kyle, go ahead. I, I will say that if it's seven hundred. Seven hundred thousand for this trial entrance to the system. It is. This is the uh, instance where people like us and the public are allowed to test and play with this thing. And if it is actually, if it is actually a multi-million-dollar budget um, liability, that that something like this, if rolled out or scaled up across the system, actually fixes, then. It, I guess makes sense to uh, to spend the money, even if they have to redesign, refit it a couple times through this process, where the public actually can put hands on it and, and try this kind of stuff. So I, I think we are actively, actually, a part of that right now. Definitely and reporting it and then people playing with it. But you, you know, who else is part of this? Is the rest of the world because this isn't the first subway system. There are lots of them, and this this issue has been dealt with by others. Oh, that's a great point. Now, how did they deal with it? Are there any where it works? And you know, find the one where it works and try to apply it to New York City, which you know, arguably is the busiest. I, I bet you though the place with the lowest fare evasion kind of like what rob was along the lines of what rob was saying is it's probably other factors than some gate or you know advanced access technology one thing that's unique about new york uh which i I certainly hope never changes is that you do not have to show anything when you leave other cities are different and that enables them to um, uh, charge more if you're going a further distance or if you're traveling at a particular uh, time of day uh, cities like Washington, D.C. do that. You have to uh, um, show your card on the way out as well as the way in. Um, that's something we should avoid at all costs, but it would allow for more control of the people inside. Uh, you would have to um, have some kind of ticket that matched the ticket when you went in. It's also um, uh, in to more, um, uh, more tracking of people, more monitoring of our whereabouts, exactly where we are going. Now they can tell when you enter a, a subway station, they can't tell where you left. And that's really important that we preserve that. It's really important that we preserve one fare for the entire metropolitan area. And uh, hopefully we, we, we don't give that up. Okay, that, that said, um, more in, in the world of, um, of uh, MTA fun. Um, yeah, you, I don't know if you heard about this, but uh, there were um, some, some break-ins recently, uh, and the MTA is planning to explore biometric technology to prevent them. Uh, we're talking about break-ins to um, off-limits areas of uh, subway trains, uh, you know, yards and things like that. A bunch of kids actually <laughs> broke into a train in a yard and took it for a little spin. I'm not kidding. They actually did this. Um, a 16-year-old was uh, was arrested, in fact, for um, uh, being a part of that. Uh, yeah, uh, there is a need for better locks, apparently, uh, because unauthorized people are slipping into the cabs. Um, in the future, they say, we will look at technology 
there's an opportunity for locks with a biometric or a code. Um, but uh, what we want is a simple and fast solution that we can implement in weeks, not months or years. That's where they're headed right now, talking about uh, just having more physical locks. But in the future, we can expect things like, uh, you know, um, uh, retina scans or um, uh, fingerprints or facial recognition. This is for employees. This is for people that should be in the cab of a subway train. I don't really have a problem with that kind of verification for somebody who is actually driving a subway train as opposed to people who are entering the subway system. Does that, that make sense? Yeah, it's perfectly reasonable, and I'm sure they'll have a saliva-based one where employees just spit on the train and it opens the door. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess, you know, that's <laughs> a prevalence of that. Um, the MTA does not keep statistics on, on how many times train crew cabs have been broken into, uh, but they've seen an increase in other forms of subway mayhem, uh, including reports of people riding outside of or on top of trains. Not a good idea. I don't care how much fun you think you're having. It's, it's not a good idea. Um, they blame the cab trespassing incidents on keys falling into the wrong hands because of theft uh, and the duplication of keys, uh, former employees not returning the keys, people taking pictures of keys and someone uh, duplicating them based on the picture because that is a thing. Uh, so they say what we're focused on is tightening up a process that over time seems to have had some leaks in it. <laughs> that's That's an understatement. Um, the uh, focus on cutting off access to restricted areas of trains comes as the MTA has in recent years experienced a surge in social media-fueled subway surfing incidents, along with nearly 1,750 instances in 2023 of pranksters pulling emergency brakes on trains and break-ins to train crew cabs. I, I don't understand what's clever about pulling the emergency brake. That's... Uh, yeah, a uh, spokesman says this is yet another stupid thing that some kids probably think is a funny prank. Um, yeah, and uh, there, there's a very significant uh, human toll on this as well. Um, the spokesperson says, I implore any teenagers, find your kicks doing something else. But vandalizing trains, stealing keys, stealing conductors' belongings, it's illegal. It delays thousands of New Yorkers every day. And in the instance of the yard movement, could have put one of our employees in danger. Not to mention the whole system if that train actually got out onto the uh, uh, onto the real tracks. Um, yes, Rob, go ahead. Yeah, I can totally see the reasoning behind something like this um, for the like the cab area of a subway train. You know, it's not uh, it's not uh, any public publicly accessible areas that are being put behind this. It's areas for employees only. We were recently watching a TV show from the '90s which involves people uh, just wailing on the door to the cockpit of an airplane to uh, get into where the pilots would be. And it reminded me how that was before, you know, certain events in our in our uh, history in our history that uh, shored up that security. Because there are plenty of very good reasons to keep people out of the um, driving area of a train or an airplane or things like that. So, yeah, um, I, I I like that uh, they mentioned in this article that they're exploring locks with a biometric or a code, for example, because just a biometric alone that's uh, prone to failure. Um, you know, if you get a if you get a cut on the wrong finger, your fingerprint won't scan the same way, and uh, and things like that. But um, yeah, there 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 are no reasons not to protect the uh, people in the in the position of uh, controlling trains throughout our great uh, transit system. By the way, uh, speaking of of trains, I guess we should probably uh, mention this as well. Uh, a, a bit of fun for people that ride the subway in New York. You may have noticed this. Uh, you may not have noticed this, but. 
If you look now, you will. And that's the fact that uh, every time a train pulls into a station, uh, you will see the conductor in the middle. Watch that conductor. What they do every single time they pull into a station is they point. They point with their finger at a particular sign. It's called pointing and calling. Uh, it's something that actually originated in Japan, uh, and it's um, it's it spread in, in, in various places. Uh, it actually started in the early 1900s. Train drivers were calling out the status of signals. Uh, back in those days, uh, steam locomotives were, were quite common, and there was loud noises, steam, and smoke that made uh, cooperation between uh, two drivers very difficult, also made rail journeys dangerous. Drivers had to call out loudly to hear each other, uh, and uh, pointing uh, was uh, a way of calling attention to something that should be observed, such as a sign or a signal. Uh, so you'll, you'll find that working in various uh, various countries in Asia. Uh, in the MTA in New York City, uh, before opening the train doors, subway conductors are required to point to a black and white striped board. Another thing to notice on subway platforms, every station has this, a striped board uh, located opposite of the conductor's window, and they do this every time a train pulls into a station. Now, the boards are located at the middle of the platform so that when the, uh, the, the conductor can see the sign, both, both ends of the train have reached the platform. It's safe to open the train doors at that point. Now, this procedure was implemented in 1996 after a series of incidents where doors opened in the tunnel. Um, the procedure shows that the conductor is paying attention. If the conductor cannot see the strike board, they are not permitted to open the doors. In Toronto, they also use a uh, similar system. Before opening the train doors, subway guards are required to point to a green triangle installed on the platform wall opposite the conductor's window every time a train pulls into a station. Uh, the procedure was implemented after a series of incidents where conductors opened the doors on the wrong side of the train. Always unpleasant. The procedure is used to focus the conductor's attention. Now, you might think this is silly. You might even be tempted to point back at the conductor when they're pointing, which, you know, is silly and childish, but you know, some people do it. But bear in mind, a 1994 study by the Railway Technical Research Institute showed that pointing and calling reduced mistakes by almost 85% when doing a simple task. Yeah, so watch where you point. Go ahead, Alex. It, in fact... There's, uh, I, I actually have a poem about pointing and calling. Oh, no. I'd like to read. No, another poem? Funny. Yeah, no, I'm joking. Yeah, but I do, I do, about this very subject, sometimes there are two of those zebra-striped uh, boards that are towards the ceiling on each, on the same side of the platform. Can you figure out why? On, on the same side, facing the same direction. Facing the same direction on the same side of the platform. Sometimes there are two, but in, in different uh, locations. Well, the only thing I could think of is that there there might be different length trains that go through that station. That's exactly right. Okay. You got it. Can't get one past you. Well, no. you know, I, I grew up on the subway, so yeah. Uh, Gila, did, you to, did you have your hand up, Gila? No, I was just I was like I know the answer to that question. Oh, I'm I was, sorry. I was waiting to be called on. <laughs> okay. All right, you'll get the next one. Um, <laughs> letter time. Uh, you can write to us oth at twenty six hundred dot com if you have something to say to off the hook here on WBAI. Um, hello to the Off the Hook crew. I'm uh, reading about how uh, there are not enough people signing up for the Hope Conference. Um, at the same time, while buying my own ticket recently, I realized that you could pay for your tickets with Bitcoin, something which I've owned since back in 2015 and yet have never used to buy anything ever uh, except to diversify into other coins back in 2019 or so. 
there there might be thousands. 0.15 uh, Bitcoin at 40k sounds like thousands. Um, I would uh, totally like to donate some of this to some people who want to come but can't afford it. Thing is, I don't even know how to get the money <laughs> out of my own account. I got this all so long ago, but I have all the passwords, etc. Uh, if you can do it, I'd love to give you like 10 tickets. Make a thing out of it. Generate more publicity. I trust you folks because I've been listening to your show for, damn, maybe 15 years. Just a thought. And uh, thank you, Alan, for that extremely generous offer. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll contact you for sure. Um, it, yeah, it can be, it can be challenging. It can be confusing. Oh my God. It just, you know, I've, I've, I've dabbled in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency a bit over the years. Um, and it's it's incredible. You 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 reach both ends of the spectrum where things are so incredibly secure that it's insane, and then within five minutes you're doing something that's so incredibly insecure that it's also insane. Uh, for instance, giving out your your uh, your your bank account information, password, and account to a, a company you've never heard of before. But yeah, that's that's you're supposed to do it that way. That's how it's done. Uh, sure. <laughs> There's so many uh, weird contradictions, but it's an interesting system. It's a good system, and a lot of people have a lot of money they don't realize about, and a lot of people have lost a lot of money, too, by losing hard drives, losing passwords, uh, not getting access, and... Um, it's fascinating. It's chaos, and that's, that's kind of what I enjoy most about it. But yes, um, Bitcoin is definitely... A possibility here. So again, thank you for that very generous offer. I want to just put put it out there that certainly, if um, if this is something that that they want to do, we will um, make sure that a contribution like that is uh, a part of some kind of scholarship or something for for people who can't otherwise um, get the chance to go to an event like Hope. So that, thank you for that idea and. Uh, if if that's something that they, that can happen, but be very careful uh, when you're working with these things because, as uh, E pointed out, it's it's incredibly complex and you should be sort of checking your work and very methodical about about using these systems. Well, it's but incredible I think to we, me. We accept it and and we we can um, uh, get tickets to people using that method. Like I say, I dabble sometimes, but I, I I'm very ignorant on the whole process. I'm just kind of amazed how. Uh, I'm told that this is, you know, how, um, uh, you know, people do things anonymously. But then when you want to do something involving uh, a Bitcoin, you have to give out all this personal information and be verified. And, you know, it just seems like it's not really that anonymous. Well, I think a lot of it happens by proxies and people sort of diversify and, and do all these kinds of um things to layer i know mixing is another thing that happens with with exchanges and and currencies and a lot of that is exists because it's not a formal uh regulated currency in in the traditional sense so um I, yeah it's it's sort of bizarre by design uh-huh. yeah okay and I, I i respect that for sure go ahead Alex. Well, I think it's I think it's a bit of a misconception that that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are are very often used for anonymous transactions. Things when you have to think about this, you know, the blockchain is a public ledger. Everything is out there; it's public. So if you can associate an identity with a wallet, you know what those transactions are. It becomes more difficult to track and trace currency if you put them th- through mixers or uh, coin swapping type uh, systems. 
or to track currency through an exchange, that can become kind of difficult as well. But for the most part, you know, there there isn't a lot of uh, anonymity here. There are certain ways to preserve your anonymity, um, but a lot of KYC requirements have uh, viscerated that to a, to a certain extent. There are separate cryptocurrencies that are designed with privacy-enhancing technologies in mind, but those are are accepted in far fewer places. So it, it's certainly tricky, but I think the barrier to entering this market of, of Web3 technologies is getting lower and lower. And, you know, quick plug here for Ethereum and the Ethereum name service. And that's, I think, uh, why things are getting a lot simpler because of things like ENS and the naming system that is allowing you to have easily access to areas on the blockchain by, by naming them with things like domains. So instead of having... Uh, uh, a long wallet address that relates to Emmanuel Goldstein that's ridiculously long. You can't memorize it. You can't, you know, if you cut and paste it and you're missing a digit, you send cryptocurrency to it, it might just be gone forever. You could perhaps get goldstein.eth you know, and assign that just like you would point a domain name to an IP address to an address in the blockchain. So there's a lot of new stuff that's coming out. And I would say that, that ENS or Ethereum is new, and uh, but and Ethereum name service is new, be, but just to be clear, you are involved with this, correct? Just to be clear, I am involved. I'm the general counsel of of it, and that's, that's something I recently started. But it's it, it's solving the type of problems that you are exactly describing. Well, you know, um, as far as as uh, being anonymous, I would think the the ransomware people would disagree and say that that it's it, it's quite preferred as a method of staying anonymous because they almost always insist on being paid in Bitcoin. Well, they they prefer that, right? And they'll often use wallets that are associated with exchanges that have very lax or no KYC requirements. You can KYC being know your customer requirements. That's certainly the case there. But it still is trackable and traceable. You can see exactly where they put the money, what what they do with it, whether it stays in one place, whether they're edging it out into fiat currency. And very often, uh, that money can be frozen and clawed back after a ransom payment, well, but that's you can, dangerous. You can see what they do with it. I think you can even see their their um, uh, their balance, which seems like an odd thing to be able to see. Yeah. But as far as getting back something, how would you even know who the who the people were? You can you can watch your your money disappear <laughs> and go somewhere else, but how would you even uh, start the process of getting it back? Well, there's, there are certain ways to use legal process to get that back if the money ends up in a, in a separate exchange or to use the powers of law enforcement if you're working with them to freeze that particular currency in an exchange. And then once it's frozen, essentially as the proceeds of a crime, just like you would freeze the, the proceeds of uh, a, you know, some drug lord or something like that, right? You know, that would be in a bank account. You can use those same legal remedies to freeze the proceeds of a ransomware event. Uh, and then once it's frozen, that's, that's another story in terms of getting it back because some of those exchanges don't do business with U.S. persons or don't want to have any interaction with the U.S. government or don't respond to legal process. So uh, that can take a little bit longer to get the money back. But free, knowing where it is and freezing it are the first two steps to getting either stolen money back mm -hmm. or money that you paid for some kind of ransom. But I will say this, though. It does very much anger the threat actors that might have been responsible for your ransomware event if you pay them the money, they give you the decryption keys, and then you essentially burn them by freezing that money. 
if they have any kind of foothold in your organization or they know another vulnerability that, that by which they might be able to compromise your system. Well, they still have your data. They can still release that, and that's oftentimes more harmful. Well, you know, uh, according to most of the negotiations that you have with these ransomware threat actors, one of the things you always negotiate for is the deletion of your data. And how do you <laughs> verify that? Well, you can't really, but they will give you some kind of deletion tree. Right? So they'll give you like a text file that shows the pathway through which uh, like a command like rm-r had been run. And and, show, and and that's supposed to indicate to you that the data is deleted, uh -huh. right? And you, you're going to believe that. You're going to believe that that's an actual <laughs> deletion. Obviously, it's pretty easy to replicate, or, you know, you can just have a copy of the data. But these guys live and die by their word. You know, if, if there's one instance where somebody negotiated for the deletion of their data and it wasn't actually deleted and it was subsequently released, then yeah, um, fewer people are going to trust them in the future. Yeah, there's nothing worse than being an untrusted ransomware person. But uh, go ahead, Kyle. I, I just want to say this is, a, this is a really big, thorny issue that, that, I mean, Alex is speaking from one perspective on certain particular hypothetical scenarios. And I, I just want to point out that um, – the the things like like the no no one is using things like bitcoin or cryptocurrency and and honestly telling themselves that just by virtue of transacting in that currency they are somehow completely anonymous i think the point here the real um the the crux of it the 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 thing that we're saying in short is that it can be an aspect of a larger effort to be completely anonymous, which many actors on the internet will use, mm -hmm. it can it can become very helpful and we we named off a couple of the techniques. There are a lot more uh ways. And I think even like the know your customer thing, that's more of a like, hey, I want cryptocurrency to become fiat or some that's an exchange thing. That's like I need to get this into cash. That isn't not always everyone's prerogative, and the the point Alex was making about um, policing it and trying to bring bring the sort of law, like assuming actors get care at all about that, uh, is a jur um, juris ends up I think bottom line a juris multi jurisdictional issue because these exchanges are diffuse, disperse right. everywhere and nowhere on, you know, out in the ocean and in space, what, whatever. They're, as we said, bizarre by design if it's for real people trying to be anonymous with this as one aspect of their larger effort, not the average person buying pizza with crypto. Yeah, do people still do that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> and you know, there's, there's, there's so much out there. Uh, that people have lost access to, you know, or or I've even heard of cases where people uh, have this immense amount that ha they've gotten somehow either by investing early or uh, through through some kind of a hack or or God knows what, uh, and they have this huge amount of uh, of, of uh, Bitcoin or or other cryptocurrency just sitting around that they really can't do anything with, and it's you know it's bizarre to think of there's. This um, this number sitting in a wallet someplace that can be converted to actual cash and used to solve a lot of problems for a lot of people. And, you know, one thing that I hope that uh, all of us work on in the future is figuring out how 
to make those little numbers, those little digital numbers, into something real that can help people, you know? And um, there, there, there must be um, uh, lots of people who are working to get to that stage because right now it's mayhem. It's, it's complete and total mayhem, and uh, it's fascinating as a result. But uh, I'm well, curious where it goes. Well, in the example in the letter, I just, I would, I would just end with, um, you know, putting, putting that uh, found currency towards, um, like I kind of characterize scholarship or just information and experience where people can learn about and uh, share or even present about technology, that's an interesting way. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily, I mean, from the angle of carbon or whatever, uh, processing and uh, 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 making that value um, happen for someone who would otherwise not be able to go to a conference. I don't know. Is it better or less? carbon than buying pizza with with that same amount of, of cryptocurrency maybe it's a lot of pizza i don't know but uh, it does need to be made greener that's that's for sure yeah but also what you spend it on mm-hmm. right like because it, it could consume a lot in processing and then you could spend it on your um yacht made out of a precious metal like it's that in and of itself will not ultimately be a very friendly and beneficial thing right, to very Do we have that people. kind of scrutiny on all types of currency, all types of payment? Do we say is this going to, you know, a, a uh, environmentally friendly uh, um, uh, product? No, I'm saying it just doubles the effect. Right. Yeah, versus, so I don't know, your, your handcrafted currency. <laughs> wow. Uh, any other thoughts on, on cryptocurrency as we have about one minute left in the show? Yeah, where'd the time go? Um, cartoon drawings of uh, ugly monkeys are still worthless. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yes, I, I I forgot about. No one's talking about that anymore, are they? NFTs. No one's talking about NFTs anymore. Well, well I, I I think that they're they're still you know out there and there's still something of a of a market for them, but they have dropped drastically as as the thing in itself. Right, you know, it's like that German philosophical saying. I can't remember. Dvorak, ding on sick or something. Uh, beware of the things in themselves. So an NFT as a thing in itself, simply as a token for being a token, I think always had some sort of dubious value. But as a function of something else or as part of some other ecosystem, I think NFTs are actually going to be growing in utility. So. Um, you're going to see them incorporated in other different types of technology, not just as a record of, of stupid, ugly ape somewhere. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I look forward to that. Kyle, final words. Oh, I'm, I'm with, like, where Alex is coming from, because a lot of the original hype was about it being an investment vehicle, and I think it should be looked at more like reams of paper. You know, it's it's something we have access to that can be used functionally, but it's not something that is – um, you know, you should sow your <laughs> your um, fortunes to. Uh, mm-hmm. That's it. Okay. I, I, I think it should just you know we we may reinterpret what its use is. Oth at twenty six hundred dot com is our email address. Please write to us. We are off next week, but we'll be back in two weeks and in just about nine minutes, eight minutes or so. We'll be on YouTube on channel 2600, or you can just go to 2600.com and click on the link that's right there on the front page. For Off the Hook, it's Emmanuel. Have a good night.
interested. You're lost. You're in limbo now. I thought I was eating bad. You've worked for the Contra Costa County Central Sanitary District. No. For 15 years. I worked for the Playboy And they just let you go. That's not even me. That's you. You don't know what you're going to do now.
This is Ralph Pointer. Join me and others every Wednesday, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time on WBAI 99.5 on your radio now. It would appear the human movement is such that at any moment in history, there are too few that understand possibilities of existence that would benefit all who inhabit this planet and are willing to act on this understanding. This program will feature that few. What are your views on these issues that impact your life today? What are your views on America today? What are your views on America's future? Can we talk? Call in 212-209-2877. Wednesday, 8 to 9 p.m. on WBAI 99.5 on your radio.